Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Thor Wood. So he is the founder and CEO of a technology startup, SnapShift, which he co-founded with Stephanie Corliss and is headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. With over 13 years in executive recruiting and staffing prior to founding SnapShift, Thor Wood operated his own successful start staffing agency working with several high-profile third-party logistics companies, including industry heavyweight, Matson Logistics. He also helped lead NFOB's growth from $2 million to over $108 million in annual recurring revenue and top 25 industri- um, industry ranking. Snapshift was named a TechCrunch top pick for social impact, as well as a top 15 startup of the year in 2019, and had previously received the Indiana Innovation Award. Thor, thanks for being on the show. How are you? I'm great, Sean. Uh, glad to be here. So I know we were talking in the green room that uh, you've got seven people in in your home and you're working out of, quote unquote, your garage, <laughs> which I can see the uh, the uh, garage door opener behind you. I couldn't see that before. I'm like, what is that mechanism? Is it an actual like Epson projector or is it a garage door opener? <laughs> but I like the thing is, is I, I've, I've been following you for the last few years on Snapshift and I love your guys's grittiness of just getting stuff done but also the other thing too is um talking about you know equality um with women founders and what what's a great job that you champion stephanie with um for being a co-founder um on this and 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 recognizing that and i think that is really cool so just first of all want to thank you for or you know talking about that but the other thing too is uh you know, having five kids <laughs> in a home during 2020, we all know COVID, Corona, all that kind of stuff. But um, it was interesting with your aspects for the green room. And we can talk about that later about the about you part of the show. But kind of want to dive in, you know, really quick with the questions for, um, you know, about SnapShift. Um, so 2020, um, you were talking about before doing a lot of traveling in 2018, 2019. And then Obviously, COVID hit, but kind of want to get your perspective on, you know, what was the original purpose when you started Snapshift and how has this changed If in, in any way, if it has um, any insight that you're, you're talking or want to relate to um, the audience? Yeah, no, thank you, um, you know, for mentioning, uh, you know, everything surrounding having a female co-founder and, uh, you know, just how... I can go on and on and wax poetic about that because it is important. And, and I think we're better positioned than most companies that are just, let's just say male dominated. Um, and we can talk about the stats behind that, but yeah, in terms of Snapshift, you know, uh, I actually met Stephanie who's my partner and co-founder right uh, down in Southwest Florida. And, you know, really just to squeeze the Genesis story of Snapshift down to uh, I had a bad experience and I was triggered. Um, you know, I went to a restaurant brewery and I, I got triggered by my experience. And all of a sudden I had this like wave of, you know, uh, emotions that I had apparently bottled up from my time in the service industry years previous. Right. Uh, I jumped into that game when I was 14 and I just, you know, I ended up realizing that I escaped it because of, uh, some of the longest standing problems for the, you know, food and beverage industry, which is staffing and being understaffed. And, you know, the, to the detriment, it's not just about dollars and cents for the owner. I mean, it really has this negative impact on the team. So whether it's your cook, your bartender, server, um, 
you know, being down one person can send the whole system into um, kind of flux. And you, it leads, you know, it starts with kind of early with, um, you know, just being um, kind of having to shoulder that burden, right, to pick up the extra slack. Uh, but then it turns into resentment and eventually burnout. And so we, you know, this experience had me kind of sitting down with Stephanie and saying, do you, do you remember how you felt when you were in the industry? And uh, and we kind of chuckle now, but this game hasn't changed in decades. You know, it, go back 20 years, they're still trying to address staffing and labor the way they did 20 years ago. And, you know, um, it's just, we decided there's a better way to do that. And so, of course, at the time, you know, kind of inspiration came from, um, you know, the ride sharing apps that at the, I, when we go way back, we're talking 2015. So they weren't as ubiquitous as they are today, but they were getting there. And so we wanted to build a reliable on-demand labor marketplace that had the immediacy and consistency of an Uber or a Lyft, uh, but yet was hyper-focused on a single industry, which we chose food and beverage, hospitality. We felt that that was an overlooked space, and it is. Um, and so basically finding a way to cut out ineffective middlemen, which would be staffing agencies, temporary staffing agencies, um, you know, the job boards or any of these services that purport to, you know, focus on labor issues because they're not doing a good job and they have never done a good job at that. Um, so we began really fleshing out that, that concept that, you know, the original concept of getting pe workers on the job. Um, it took about nine months, you know, really doing a commercial viability and, and just doing a deep dive. Right. And then that's, I guess we were ahead of the game at the time. Um, you know, cause one of the things that I always hear, uh, from fellow entrepreneurs or just, you know, these purported experts, right. That are in the startup sphere is that, you know, you've got to test your hypotheses, prove or disprove them. And we were doing that, not knowing that we were doing the right thing. Right. We were just, that's what felt right at the time was to interview and really dig deep and see if this was a problem worth solving. And it was, and that's why we decided to uproot from Southwest Florida. We were actually living on an Island, right? And so the life, and we decided to, um, give this a go in Indianapolis and then really felt like this was the place that we wanted to be and that we could succeed with what we want, you know, with what our focus was and what we were trying to build. I like it. It's, it's an interesting, um, it's a very interesting concept. And I liked how you kind of put, you know, building reliable and immediacy and a high, like high focus on one industry. And I think that is um, a testament to your, your focus um, and what you're talking about and what the product. And so, you know, with everything you have, you know, as everybody knows with a startup or most people know with a startup is that you have um, your, your, you're talking to investors, you're talking to other people who are, you know, who could believe in your product and, and, and put capital behind it. But then you also have a kind of a two-sided market that you've kind of mentioned where um, the experience um, can, you know, happen with the, you know, with, if the owner, you know, loses somebody, it's, if that's an experience, if, if someone doesn't show up, the other experience is, um, is if the customer has a bad experience, who is a restaurant goer and what's and is at the restaurant or a bar or whatever, and so how do you how do you balance that two sided market in the sense of the owners and the workers with customer experience in the sense of 
not only is the restaurant being effective internally, but it's also the customers at that restaurant that are being affected too. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, uh, if you think of it like this, and and it doesn't necessarily just have to be about hospitality. Like, so my my um, analogy here can apply to most other industries that have you know labor shortages or issues, right, with retention and turnover and all that. But the numbers that I tossed out are specific to um, you know the hospitality space, which includes so it's bars, it's restaurants, it's catering, it's festivals, you know, uh, food and beverage ops within arenas, you know hotels, right? And so um, the, the encompassing all of that, it's a domino effect. I mentioned previous that it, it start, you know, being understaffed or short staffed one time leads, you know, to this domino effect where the, the rest of the team becomes, you know, resentful and eventually burns out. So the industry itself has in, inherently high turnover, you know, some businesses, it, you know, if you've got 40, 50, 60, 70% turnover, you're doing pretty good in hospitality. But it's as high as 150% in some markets and with some subsets of the industry. And so uh, you've got to start to really analyze there's a cost associated. And that's that was the beginning, you know, going back to Genesis, we were looking at it from the business perspective. Man, these businesses are losing money. And, and that seemed like the right path. Like if you wanted to take that startup path and, you know, speak to that pain, right? And so we were looking at it from the, the operator's perspective saying, you know, the average restaurant is losing almost $150,000 every year per location just because of turnover and being understaffed. And half of that can be saved, can be recouped by actually getting people in there to do the job and do the job well. Um, and that, because that's lost revenue. And you talked about it, it impacts the customer. So, you know, I, I've got a friend that's in the space on the, um, the review side, how to really capture customer sentiment. He's based out in Utah. Uh, we spent some time working together out in San Francisco, but ultimately his numbers show that one bad review costs a restaurant $500 and one bad review leads to 30 lost customers. So start to quantify, all right, dollars and cents. You want to do everything you can to, to make sure that everyone has a good experience, right? Or at least if it's a bad experience that you're, you know about it in the moment, you can address it and maybe resolve it. Uh, same thing, you know, if you start to look at his data, it's going to show being understaffed leads to a poor experience. It takes longer to get seated, longer to get your food. Maybe the food is cold. Maybe it's not made right. Um, you know, there's just a myriad reasons why you might have a bad experience, but it starts with having a full staff, a full complement of experienced professionals, you know, there on the job at that moment. And um, so it, it definitely... Um, I got you quantify that it's almost 150 billion nationwide that's lost just being understaffed. And then you look at it on the flip side, you know, how bad this industry is being hit because of COVID, right? And they're talking about a quarter trillion has been lost in the US uh, you know, over the last 9 months. And you know, there there's there's talk about potentially having, you know, some sort of tranche of you know, 120 billion or so uh, injected into the industry to help save these these businesses from going under. And I want to say, and I say this with full empathy, what if you had that 150 billion, <laughs> right, from that you lost from being understaffed? If that was, so the impacts, right, we're seeing it right now. It, it's a frail industry when it's not good times. And so anyway, I, I can I can go on and on, but uh, I will say 
you know, what we talked about going after the, the business side of it, you know, and the pains that they were going through, the more that we started to peel back that onion, we started to realize that the workers were really um, top. They became top priority for us because they were completely, un- why were they jumping ship every two months? Why, what, you know, with the turnover rate being so high, why was the pay so low? Why are there no benefits? Um, you know, we started to really understand that they're an overlooked population. And, you know, we're talking 16, 17 million strong nationwide. So it's not a small group. And they're deemed essential now. But if you started to look at the average wage, you, w- you wouldn't know that they were essential people. I totally agree with you. I think it, it comes down to um, how, how modern businesses are structured for motivation and engagement. Employee engagement, I think, is kind of the big thing that we're noticing is that, you know, in order to have the best customer experience, you have to have um, an engaged workforce and an engaged company in, in each individual location and each individual level. And right now it's just not there um, or it is, but in, in small doses. And so, um, w- and we can talk to the, I mean, we can talk about this for days on, on that kind of stuff, but you know, where are you seeing the industries um, you serve kind of pivoting, especially with this year? If you just want to, you know, say, you know, I mean, you, you, you mentioned 150 billion nationwide being understaffed, like losing money out of that. Um, that there's 16 to 17 million workers nationwide that are being under, you know, that are not being as engaged or appreciated in that sense. You know, where are you seeing more companies, you know, transitioning, um, especially with, you know, being restaurants and bars and every place getting hit? I mean, pretty much the hardest. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd and dweeb. And I know you'll ask me about hobbies and I, I like numbers. Uh, and I like to be able to, you know, extrapolate things and try and use it to predict, right? And and one of the uh, one of the subsets of data that was shared with us and that we find to be true is that uh, over seventy percent of business executives have a plan in place to implement or integrate the gig economy into their labor model, and that's not just for our space, our sector. That's across the board. That's that's healthcare, education, that's construction, food and beverage. They're realizing that the workforce of today and the workforce of tomorrow is a very fluid uh, group of uh, of citizens, and they're going to go where they can make that uh, they value their time. So they're going to go where they can make the money, make the money the quickest, the easiest. You know, where are is the smoothest path. And so that's that was part of our goal was to eliminate the friction because again going back you peel back the onion, why are there these hurdles right? I know for a fact that you've got you know thousands of job openings like here in Indianapolis, in the food service space, but you know what? I, and I laugh, uh, the response speed, right? So you, workers are submitting their resumes and they're never hearing back, and then the the businesses are complaining because again they didn't set out to be an HR or a talent acquisition specialist. And I think that that's what a lot of businesses are starting, you know, need to understand in this space is that you had a passion for food or a passion for hospitality recruiting that wasn't on your mind. Uh, Some people are good at it. Most aren't. Um, And so that's where you need to be able to, to turn to a solution that actually can deliver. And so you ask the question, what do we see? Um, And really in the short term we're we know that, It'll be the continued evolution towards a tech-enabled management of staffing and scheduling 
through the gig economy, which is us, um, it becomes essential in order to compete and stay solvent. And you've got the, the CEOs of the largest chain restaurants in the world are talking about, you know, we're in year two or year three of the true war for talent. And nothing's changing that, you know, other than they're finally starting to realize the gig economy is, is a potential um, uh, buffer or solution across the board. But we do see, um, you know, more of a reliance on technology whether it's inventory, whether it's, you know, handling deliveries, uh, you know, going delivery only, like, you know, everyone talks about ghost kitchens. And if you're not familiar, that's basically a restaurant that is delivery only. And you can house a number of brands or, or um, uh, styles of food, right? Uh, so it could be, you know, German, Mexican and Thai, and it's all in one kitchen, right? And, you know, uh, that's a way to have an operation that, Again, relies on third-party delivery, but you know, we, there's a lot of companies, and we're looking at some of these non-DoorDash, non-Uber Eats companies that are really more of a benefit to these businesses because they're not taking a huge cut, and they're really value add rather than. I, I feel like those titans are really um, kind of pillaging the landscape for a, a low-margin business. So I think you know these operators are getting smart and getting wise that. You know, there's other solutions out there, but it is a tech-enabled future for this space, uh, and I think it's going to be a mix. Again, you know, we're going to see ghost kitchens and and that type of concept pop up more often um, and become more ubiquitous. I unfortunately, chains are going to—they're better insulated than a lot of these operators, and and that sucks, especially for a city like Indy. You know, I feel like the last eight to ten years, we really started to kind of come into our own, uh, you know, as far as a foodie uh, metro, right? We had our own flavors and, you know, some uh, just amazing talent. And But it's really tough to survive in this industry in normal times, not the least of which during COVID, right? And so I think you're going to see, again, kind of a return to chains dominating. But those that do survive as far as operators, they're going to be really tech heavy. And that makes them dangerous in a good way. I like it. I, I and I like where you're kind of heading with this because it is it's trying to figure out a tech solution for multiple di- like a, a massive scale amount of people and and where and where you drive in that but also the same thing too is is how to survive or stay afloat and and drive passions that are not going to rely on third party vendors and logistics to undercut what already you were like you said undercut what already low margins there are. Um, so no more grilling questions, Thor, but <laughs> I want to know more of like an offline background, something that, you know, an insight, um, something that's not on the website, not through the social media channels, something that, you know, you help the customer with, um, a customer pivoted or things that you've kind of seen out there, um, kind of, um, you know, in the landscape of kind of what you've kind of been witnessing that you haven't really posted out. Um, on social or any place like that that you kind of want to share to the community um, now? That Well, that's a tough one because I, I am pretty transparent. Like when I, if I start ruminating on an idea or, you know, something's, there's an itch to be scratched, right? Uh, I want to share it. I want to get it out there and really try and, and, and engage in some dialogue. Uh, of course, um, sidebar, when it comes to social media, it's real easy to become like this, uh, you know, I'm telling you the answer. I'm right. And, you know, and, and, you know, we all kind of fight with, uh, we 
how do you welcome in people's opinions, right? And so it's coming in with an opinion, hoping that you get some counterpoints, right? Uh, doesn't always work, but that, like I said, sidebar. Um, most of, I, you know, what we've put out there, I think is relevant and or is basically covering all bases. I'm trying to think, you know, we've got big plans uh, for what's going on. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, even though we're seeing new mandates and restrictions, right, to close out 2020, and it's not just here, like San Francisco, New York, Chicago, they're shutting down even more so uh, than what we're seeing here in Indianapolis and Indiana. And, and so um, ideally with the vaccine, we come out of this, but just two months ago, like so October and September, or excuse me, September and August, 13,000 new restaurants, brand new restaurants opened up in the U.S., which was on par with the same period last year. So that that's a beautiful sign. So when you start to look at, okay, let's what's a data point that we can point to and and maybe try and extrapolate what we can maybe foresee for the next two years, three years, four years. So Great Recession was the worst, right? Uh, especially for us millennials. But uh, in New York at that time, New York City, there were 18,000 restaurants and bars. And prior to COVID, there were 29,000. But the population of New York City, I believe, only grew like 1%, 2%. So, but to nearly double or to add 10,000, 11,000 new restaurants. So we're going to see this influx of you know, new openings, new concepts, you know, again, it could be heavy on the ghost kitchen side of things, but we're going to see this industry come out of the ashes in a major way. And I think that that's, you know, not talked about enough. And it's something that we're kind of ruminating on right now. Like that'll be kind of our year end mantra uh, to really kind of bang that drum and, and that, you know, we're going to get out of this and God willing, we'll all be healthy and alive and, and, Let's get into that new normal, which I think is going to be a pretty spectacular, um, you know, return to form, if you will. That's awesome. I like the out of the ashes in a new way or a major way, as you put it. Um, so this is part of the episode that is not about Snapshift, about restaurants, about numbers, unless you want to talk numbers. But it's more about you, Thor. You know, why do you get up and do what you do every morning? You know, why do you why Snapshift? Why do you love what you do? That that's awesome, and I, I was just actually talking about this, um, you know, with a, a team member the other day, and and really I got freaked out. Like the whole point of, yeah, you, you know, I, I was doing the recruiting thing, living on a beach, like that sound that like a lot of people aspire to that, and I why was I miserable? And I think it was because it was it's all about purpose, right? And and you know, uh, in the green room we were talking about Kevin Bailey, and 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 I think that. It, he is amazing, right? To open your eyes into new ways of thinking, or seeing and, and feeling and experiencing. But it truly for me was about what is my purpose? And, and we were about to have my first daughter, uh, Haley. And it was like, that was like that impetus uh, or that instigator to stop what you're doing, get out of your comfort zone and maybe go, now's the time, like have no regrets. And, and so um, that still drives me. I mean, you know, we're approaching three years in January that we went live. Um, but really, as I mentioned, this idea started forming in 2015 and it took some time to, to, you know, vet out whether it was worthwhile. And, and then, to, we jumped into a, when we moved here, we jumped into a competition called the Indie Startup Challenge, 10 week boot camp style. Uh, some pretty cool companies that still exist came out of that as well, or, you know, took part in that. 
uh, but we won. And that was like that final push that I needed uh, to take this serious and start building a product. And so, uh, but we're very passionate, but it revolves around the workers, right? And that's what gets us up each day is that, you know, we got a review uh, at the end of September, beginning of October from a worker uh, that basically said, without Snapship, I would have lost my house. And so I'm grateful. And I'm like, wow, how do you respond to that? Like, I, you know, I'm saying it now and I'm, I still get the, the chills. Like, you know, we start, we're starting to understand that we can have an outsized impact on people in the community. And that to me just feels really good. And I think our, our purpose or my purpose individually, but also I know I can speak to, you know, Stephanie's purpose has evolved to really, it's a kind of community effort and less about being a hot startup or a mobile app. Like who gives a shit about that? You know, we're starting to see that this is having impact on the people. And anyway, that that's important to us. And then how do I keep myself sane from all this is I avoid doom scrolling, you know, which seems to be a buzzword lately. Um, but literally I uh, thank God for Netflix up until a couple of weeks ago, you know, pre-election, we didn't watch a single bit of television uh, outside of Netflix. And I think that's helped us survive, you know, seven people under one roof, five kids, right? Four under the age of 11. And so I think that's helped us survive and keep our sanity um, while doing what we do each day. And um, so anyway, I like it. Doom scrolling. <laughs> I'll add that to my rep. I'll add to that to my, to my vocabulary. Um, what do you, what do you do as for a hobby, you know, besides, you know, what you're doing with Snapshift and, you know, what kind of helps you recharge a little bit? Music, um, uh, you know, not playing. I used to play instruments way back, you know, pre pre high school days, right? Saxophone and always into drums, but really just being able to jam out. And if that means just getting in, in the car and driving around 465, you know, listening to the music is, you know, loud as my ears can take it. Like that's, that's relaxing, um, you know, in many ways for me, but hobby wise, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, I've avoided my main hobby. You know, a lot of people during, you know, COVID has have been able to dive into it. For me, I'm reading a bit more, uh, which is good. Uh, but I actually, part of my deal with myself was if we're going to do this startup thing, what, frivolous stuff can I cut out to really just streamline and, and make it hyper-focused for me, no distractions. And one of those was eliminating video games. You know, I was, I loved gaming. Um, and you know, right now when you've got new consoles coming out, you know, this earlier this week, it's like, I'm, I'm having a little bit of a panic attack, like anxiety because I, I'm, I want to be in line and getting that first console, but I haven't played a video game, uh, in over two years. And uh, almost three years, actually, it was right as we got here. And so I missed that part of my hobby. And go figure, COVID would have been the perfect time to, you know, really just draw the draw the drapes and, and be in the dark and play video games nonstop. And uh, amazingly, I haven't done that. So hobbies are music, reading and playing with my kids. That's about uh, that's about my day. Uh, if we're not working, we're doing one of those. I'm doing one of those three things. That's awesome. And, and what do you do health wise, you know, besides hanging with the kids, you know, drinking some coffee in the afternoon, <laughs> coffee and tea, right? Yeah. It's a black cup. Um, that was 
you just that's a great you brought up coffee um i was up, up to maybe 10 or 12 cups a day uh last year and like that has a negative impact like forget all the good things that you might get from the coffee bean i was overdoing it and so really flipping that to where it was um you know really good organic teas so you might be getting a dose of caffeine but you're you're, you're supplementing out um the coffee and and much more balanced um but for me uh health wise cut out high fructose corn syrup i mean that it inherently has a, a truly negative impact uh, on males in particular and how we store it in our bodies and you know you look at the introduction of high fructose corn syrup into our diet as a nation and the, the subsequent rise of diabetes um it goes hand in hand and so some of the best things right breads all you know most sauces ketchup right it all has high fructose in it and so being cognizant of that uh you know um has done wonders i think um and uh, you know i missed the gym you know i got i sold my weights uh when we moved and i regret that because yeah i'm standing in in my garage office and there's a perfect spot over here for the weight bench and so i'm i'm itching to to hit the weights as soon as possible so we might make a uh make that a christmas you know gift for for me and whoever else wants to pump some iron that's awesome well thor thanks so much for talking about snapshift you know relaying about you know with stephanie and, and your guys's venture together um having almost the partridge family um <laughs> isolation and stuff <laughs> And just kind of talking about the industry, you know, kind of going on with, you know, with restaurants and giving some awesome statistics all throughout that, you know, kind of show true testament that you, you do see the relation with data and you do care um, and, and seeing the technology of actually helping people and giving those some of those slight, you know, testimonials of, you know, the worker saying, you know, without Snapshift, I would have lost my home. And just revealing about yourself, like what fulfills you each day, you know, what you try to consume and, and what makes you focused and fit for the next day to kind of like power through and, and, and get to that, get to that end goal of making a snap shift, something that's, um, that's more community oriented rather than just the next start, like the next hot startup. So Thor, thanks for being on this episode. No, thank you for having me and, and let me, uh, ramble on a bit. Um, you know, I've always got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> and to all the converged coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap.